Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 55 of the OT Schoolhouse podcast. My name is Jason Davies, and I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being here today. This is an exciting time for us school-based OTs. We are getting back to work. I actually went to work about a week and a half ago is when I got started back, and you know, this is just an exciting time. We we get to go to Target, and we get to find cool erasers and whatever new cool gadgets they have in that uh, little used to be called the dollar spot, not anymore. Now it's more like the $3 spot. But anyways, you know, this is an exciting time for us. We get to get back to work. We get to find out what our caseload looks like, what our workload looks like. We get to see what classrooms, what teachers we're working with. And even more importantly today, we get to find out if we're working from our home or from our our room on campus. And that's exactly why we are here today. This is the second part of our two-part series in back to school during a pandemic with occupational therapists from around the country. And today we have on two very special occupational therapists. Actually, they're both veterans of the OT Schoolhouse podcast. We have Miss Jamie Spencer from Miss Jamie OT, and we also have Billy Hatridge from The OT Dad. So both of them have been on the podcast before. You'll probably recognize their voices once they get going. You might even follow them on Instagram or Facebook, or wherever you might follow other occupational therapists. All right, so real quick, before we dive into today's lesson with Jamie and Billy, I just wanted to really quickly and briefly let you all know that the recorded version of the A to Z school-based OT course is now available at otschoolhouse.com forward slash A to the number two Z. And this course is going to be great whether you are a brand new school-based OT or an experienced school-based occupational therapist. This is going to be fantastic. We are going to talk about everything from RTI to the referral process, the evaluation process of a student, how to determine what goals should be included, what services, the amount of services to include. I'm going to give you a little flow chart to figure that out. We're going to go through all of that. And then after that, we're going to go through the intervention plan, how to put together an intervention plan for success so that you can help that student make progress. And of course, you can't do that without having your your data tracking and progress reports and all that good stuff. So we're going to go through all of that, eventually culminating in an efficient and a ethical graduation of services from occupational therapy for a student. This is like we're chronologically following a student through the entire OT process. On top of that, you're going to receive more than 25 editable handouts and resources such as my evaluation template that you're free to use and manipulate as you need. And then finally, the best part of the course is that it continues on. There is no end to this course. Yes, it's eight hours of content, but after that, or even even during that, I'm going to be holding live office hours on Thursdays that you are more than welcome to attend. In fact, I would love for you to attend these office hours on Thursdays. Um, This is your time to ask questions. Since this is not a live course, I'm going to be holding these live office hours on Thursdays to answer any questions that may be really about anything OT related, whether it's about coming back during a pandemic or how to exit a student when they have below average scores on the bot. That's what this course is for. That's what those live office hours are for. So if you're interested in joining me or just learning more about this course, head on over to otschoolhouse.com forward slash A, the number two Z, or you can just head on over to otschoolhouse.com and click on the professional development tab at the top 
and you'll be directed to learn more about this course right there. All right, so I hope to see you potentially over there, but either way, let's get into today's content with Jamie and Billy. This is the second part of our two-part series in Back to School Plans During a Pandemic. So let's cue the intro music, and then we will dive right into it. See you in just a second. Hello and welcome to the OT Schoolhouse podcast, your source for school-based occupational therapy tips, interviews, and professional development. Now, to get the conversation started, here is your host, Jason Davies. Class is officially in session. Hey everyone, and welcome back. This is going to be a great episode. This is the second part in our Back to School During a Pandemic series that we're doing here at the OT Schoolhouse podcast. And I want to say a special thank you so much for being here to Jamie Spencer of Miss Jamie OT and, of course, Billy Hatridge of The OT Dad. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on, and let's go ahead and get started. Let's say, Miss Jamie, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Doing fantastic. And Jamie, how about you go ahead and tell us uh, where you practice occupational therapy, and um, yeah, just start with that. So I'm um, a school-based occupational therapist in Long Island, New York. Awesome. And when are you guys heading back to school? Um, Well, the board just approved that our students aren't going to come back until September 8th. So they postponed it a little bit. Um, But the teachers, I'm not sure the exact date, to be honest, because I've been avoiding thinking about it. But um, we're going back a little bit earlier in order to do some training. And we're going to Google. We're going to be using Google Classrooms across the district. So they're bringing us back a little earlier to, you know, just ensure everything's good with COVID and make sure that we all have the proper training and all of that. Awesome. Perfect. And Billy, what about you? Tell us, sir, remind us where you're located and um, just a little quick update on the district. We're going to go more into details, but just a quick update. Yeah. So I'm here in Southwest Arkansas um, and our OT team, we cover nine school districts throughout five counties. And so we've got a lot of variety there. And for the state, we're all looking at coming back on the 24th of August. So that's, you know, in just a couple of weeks, but that's going to be kind of staggered. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what we're looking at as far as the timeline, the 24th. Great. Well, this is going to be interesting for those of you who were listening to the previous episode that we did about back to school plans during a pandemic. Um, we had on Olivia and Kate Dakota and Olivia was going back more in the distance learning model. And Kate wasn't quite sure. Her district hasn't given her many updates on what was going on at that point, but they were thinking maybe hybrid. I'm excited today because I've already talked a little bit to Billy and Jamie, and it sounds like they might be going full time back. So if this is you out there, an occupational therapist that is going back to the schools full time, this is the place to be right now. So whether you're watching live right now or listening to the podcast, you are in the right place to be. So let's go ahead and get started. Billy, what were your initial reactions when you found out what the district's plans were? Mixed. Um, you know, I'm, I'm eager to get back into the school and eager to get back to work. You know, our kids have gone almost six months now without any kind of therapy. A lot of our kids anyways. Um, we here with our clinic, the way it's set up, we have two satellite clinics. And so we've been able to see some kids via outpatient during the summer, and that's helped. But it's just about getting back to these kids who have been in such a desperate need for for the service that we provide. So I'm just eager to get back into it and to stop kind of kicking the can down the road and just figure this stuff out. Absolutely. And what about you, Jamie? What were your initial reactions when you kind of heard what was all going on? Well, 
I actually was on the committees, the reopening committees for my school district. So my school district has been really working hard to try to make sure that all the bases are covered. And we had three separate plans, um, you know, depending on what was going on and also for what will happen in the future. So we came up with a going back full-time plan, a hybrid plan, and then a, you know, 100% remote plan. So I thought that was great because, I mean, the parents want to go back and school teachers, administrators want to go back, but if it's not safe, we can't. So I thought it was good to have that mix. My district, the elementary school, kindergarten to sixth grade are going to be going back full time, but then seventh and eighth and high school will be alternating remote and, um, you know, in person. And then every single child has the option to be remote 100%. Wow. Okay. So I'm just going to start with some information from my district. They initially gave students or parents the option to either do a hybrid model. So half, you know, like two cohorts coming in two days a week or something like that. And then a distance learning model. They found that about 75% preferred the hybrid and about 25% wanted to go the distance learning route. Um, What do you think that means as far as special education? And do you think that we might have more students on special education coming back, more that are on special education staying in the distance learning model? Uh, Jamie, it sounds like your kids might have some options. So what do you think about as far as special education and the distance learning model? I think in general that most of our special ed kids are going to come back. I think the parents, first of all, feel um, upset that they're not special ed teachers and that their child might not be getting, you know, the full benefit of being with their teacher in person. And, you know, we know the special ed teachers have bent over backwards doing everything they can provide the proper education via teletherapy, but it's not the same as having that structure. And I think most parents are going to be sending their kids back so that the children, you know, we know our children with special needs very often, they really more than the average kid, they need structure, they need multi-sensory strategies. So that's hard to provide via teletherapy. Absolutely. All right. So I want to ask kind of going back to before. So let's talk about last school year from March until May. What did that look like for you guys? Billy, you want to go ahead and start with that? Yeah, so we, I think March the 13th was when, that, that Friday the 13th is when everything, uh, you know, the hell mouth opened up, so to speak. But um, they made the announcement that, hey, we're going to be out the next week. And then the following week was spring break. And that's going to give us two weeks. We'll come back to normal. You know, we're just kind of taking a two-week spring break. And then about halfway through spring break, they said, okay, this is going to, let's kick this can down the road. Let's make open up, I think May 6th was the day or somewhere in there that they're going to come back. And when that decision was made, the schools who had kind of more or less just sat back and said, we're going to come back and everything's going to be fine. We're now scrambling to figure out how to provide services. So our company, since we go to rural schools, we've already done teletherapy for speech for many years in some of our districts. So we were kind of primed to kind of jump in and start doing that. And really we only had about a 20% return rate as far as our kids who signed up for teletherapy, but that was more or less what we did was the teletherapy for the kids who, you know, had access to the internet, had access to a computer or a smartphone. And, but that was again, a very small percentage of, of our overall caseload. Wow. Okay. And that, I think that's pretty similar to me. I was sending out some materials to kids. I 
never really heard back from them whether or not they were yeah. doing that. I made a video for them, and then if they did it with their parent, great, but I didn't hear back from any. Um, I probably did have about 20% or so that I was seeing live for therapy. What about you, Jamie? How did the end of last school year work out for you? It was, I think, particularly crazy for me because I had just come back from maternity leave. So I was just getting back into the swing of real life, you know, um, and then I was, I think I was in the building for maybe five weeks and meanwhile, so for my school district, I'm the only district employed therapist. So I don't go to every single building. I couldn't possibly, I see kids in one building and then the other three days I do a lot of, um, I do all the evaluations for the district. I do assistive technology and I'm involved in the general ed curriculum, um, you know, doing handwriting trainings. And we just started a new handwriting program this year. So I was really busy with the teachers with that. Um, and then all of a sudden everything was remote. So I did, when I came back from my maternity leave, my administrator said, you know what, your kids have been seeing this other therapist all year. We're not going to take, you know, take those kids and give them to you now because they've already been making progress with her. So I didn't have students on my caseload. So my year was looking really different anyway. Um, and then to try to then go to teletherapy, well, not teletherapy because I didn't have direct students, but um, you know, evaluations and all that other stuff. My district kind of just put everything on hold. So I didn't have any of that to do via teletherapy. I was just um, communicating with the teachers and keeping in touch with everybody to see if there's anything I can do to help. Um, I was in touch with my assistive technology students and things like that, but it wasn't what it normally would have been if I had been having a regular year. Yeah. Were you doing any evaluations at all? I didn't do any over teletherapy. I had one that I did the day before everything shut down. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I wrote it up and I sent it in and that, and I, but we didn't have a meeting about it because the rest of that child's evaluations weren't completed. So everything's just been on hold. Um, I am actually, I let my district know. I said, if you need me to do evaluations over the summer, now that the school's kind of opening and um, you know, a lot of the administrative staff are in the buildings and, and working. So I said, if you want to do some evaluations over the summer to get caught up, because I can't imagine how many evals have been put off because we do a lot, like almost at least one a week, you know, so I'm going in next week to do an, uh, an evaluation in person. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And we'll get into evaluations a little bit more in a minute. Um, it sounds like you said you were using Google platform for some of your things or were you using Zoom before? We were, we were using Zoom, but now we're switching to Google. Okay. And our district is doing the same exact thing. I'm not going to lie. I was a little frustrated when I found out we weren't going to be able to use Zoom, but Billy, I think you have mentioned that your, your uh, company has an actual program for telehealth. Is that right? Well, they did for the speech. Um, what ha what happened was that was the we were using that platform for our speech therapist. But when we needed it for everybody, and we're looking at the cost analysis, we went with Zoom, um, which kind of like what Jamie says. A lot of our school districts now are moving towards Google, and so I think we're on the same boat. I never actually spent I don't think a minute on the platform they're using for speech. We we basically rolled Zoom out company wide just to kind of make sure that everybody could get into it really quickly. The Zoom was really easy just to pick up and run with. So. Yeah, I'm going to miss Zoom. I mean, we're on Zoom right now. It's so simple to share your screen. You can give the child access to uh, click on on your screen as long as they're not on a Chromebook. That that was a difficult, um, some, some difficulty with Zoom was 
that our district was giving out Chromebooks to kids. And apparently Chromebooks aren't as friendly with Zoom. You can't use all the features, but I guess Google will have to, we'll have to see what happens. It sounds like we're all in the same boat there. So best of luck to everyone. I was actually really happy to hear that my district was going to Google. I've been begging to go to Google just as our whole system. We've been using, um, you know, Microsoft. So we've been using Note and the OneNote cloud and OneDrive and it's just really glitchy. It's been glitchy in my district. And a lot, I found a lot of the teachers weren't using it. They were using their old fashioned, like shared drive on their computer. And oh. they like, oh, is it in there? And I'm like, no, it's in the cloud. <laughs> but yeah. I I think like this teletherapy and, and teleeducation has, has forced a lot of people to just embrace the technology. So I feel like going forward, it's just gonna be a lot easier for me, particularly because I am in so many buildings and I try mm. to do a lot of things through technology, but if the teachers don't know how to use it or they're not using it, then it's not as effective. So I think personally, I'm psyched. <laughs> yeah, I, absolutely. I love Google. It's just the Google Meets. I tried it a few times and it's just the way that I was using it. It was limited in what you could do as far as for mm. teletherapy. That was mm. my only um, concern with it. But hopefully it sounds like they've already made a lot of upgrades to it. And like I said, I'm going to a training on Monday with like our tech trainers. So hopefully they'll have some good tips and maybe I can share a few different add-ons throughout the week that might make it easier for people. But now let's move a little bit forward. How are you planning for the school year? Jamie, I'll let you start with this one. Yeah, um, I'm not really making any major changes. I, I wanna go in and see what things look like. Um, I, I'm the only district employed person, so I, don't really know who's going to be the other OT in my building, who's going to be the PT, what is their schedule going to be like, because I think we're going to have to be in the room on different days. Mm -hmm. When I was in the uh, um, reopening committees, we talked about also the cleaning in between sessions. Are we going to have to change our schedules, um, you know, to give, allow more time in between I mean, I don't know if you're in the same boat, Jason, but it's like, you know, you see your child for 30 minutes and the last five minutes you're, working on skipping on the way back to class so that you're for the next child. And it's I just trying to imagine adding in the cleaning and making sure that any toy that they touched is now sterilized and everything. I think that's going to be kind of the tricky part, but I haven't really done anything to prepare for it. I'm feeling like when I go in and I see what it looks like and I look at my caseload and I want to really work with the speech therapist too, to see what they're doing. I usually copy, you know, their schedule or, whatever, however they're making it work. Yeah, definitely make sure you get the speech schedule before you start scheduling your kids. I feel like they have so many kids, you kind of have right. to work around them a little yes. bit. Yes, yes. <laughs> what about you, Billy? How are things maybe changing in your planning scheme for this upcoming year? So for the OTAs that are supervised, it's going to be kind of the same. Um, they're going back into the school buildings that they work in. They're working in the same case that they had in March, you know, give or take a few kids working in some teletherapy here and there, but the big issues is like what Jamie said, is trying to figure out how to squeeze in those disinfectant times throughout the day. And we're going to try to really make sure that we're not using our own therapy materials as much and use the kids stuff. Um, since the kids going to be handling it in and trying to make sure that we don't have as much cross-contamination as possible. For myself, I, I supervise four OTAs across five districts. Now these are small rural districts. So, Typical school year, I'm driving 500, 550 miles a week. 
I'm not going to be driving a whole lot this year. Uh, there's going to be a lot more stuff like this, being able to zoom in. In fact, this was the, one of the easiest in-review seasons I've ever had because I sat right here at my desk and just zoomed in to meeting after meeting, and I wasn't driving all over Timbuktu to make these conferences. And so it's a big thing for me, and I talked with my uh, supervisors about this a little bit, but making sure that I'm not traveling between districts. With these smaller districts, we're often in two, three, four different school buildings throughout the day myself especially and trying to make sure that if i go to this elementary school i'm really only there that day to where if there's an issue i'm not cross-contaminating multiple districts across counties and that's going to be the biggest issue it was quite common for me to drive through two or three counties in a day you know and just sign some notes go into a conference test a kid and, and let that be that this year it's going to be a lot more doing everything i can from home or through distance or at the office and skyping in not skyping in but zooming in google meet then however we're doing it um and, and doing supervision that way, doing note reviews that way, and just really trying to take advantage of keeping myself out as, a, as much school buildings as possible since I do work in so many different districts. Yeah. It's funny how Skype used to be the best platform, and now no one's using Skype. It's all yeah, Zoom. I haven't <laughs> even heard of Zoom, yeah. Google, and uh, Microsoft Teams is like the three go-to platforms now. All right, I'm going to read this question. I don't know if you, either of you will have much input, but I want to read this. And if you do, please just chime in. Angie asks, has anyone considered having a virtual OT team and an in-person OT team if it's like hybrid learning in order to eliminate scheduling nightmare of having both? Do you guys have any input on that one? Yeah, we've discussed that a little bit because the question is what happens when we go under quarantine? Um, you know, if we get exposed, if we if we get a test positive, what happens to that therapist? Do we cover for them? Do we send another person to that school to just pick up the ball and run with it? Or do they now, since they're home and stuck home, take all the teletherapy sessions so that, you know, we can utilize their downtime? And a lot of that's just going to be trying to figure it out as we go, see what works and what doesn't work. But we have kind of looked at that a little bit. We have a few OTAs who do part-time work for us. So there's some ideas there about you know, allowing them to take the teletherapy since they are home and have more availability, but we'll kind of see when we get in and have our numbers. Absolutely. Jamie, did you want to say anything? Yeah, I, I don't have a team. I'm just me. So the rest of the students in my district who get occupational therapy are seen by contract therapists. So there's kind of a divide. Um, I'm not in charge of them. They, they're, they just get their caseload and the way it was from you know, March to June was that they were kind of scrambling a little bit to figure out some parents wanted to use Zoom, some parents just wanted activities sent home. And so the therapists were, you know, I, I think the therapists had to work harder than ever before to get all these different wishes and, you know, to provide all these things to go home. Um, so I think it's going to be the same way if we have to go back into quarantine. I'll I'll have my students and then they'll have their students. So, Jamie, you mentioned how your role was already very different last year because you were taking on some assistive technology, uh, maybe a little bit more of a leadership role, it looked like. Are you keeping that same role or because of what's going on, are you going to be seeing more kids this year? No. Um, so my role was only different because I was on maternity leave, so I didn't have students. Gotcha. General. My role is three days a week. I do district-wide stuff like leadership type things. And two days a week, I see kids. Gotcha. Okay. So that's my norm. And that's what I'm going back to. All right. All right. This is a question that I really want to know the answer to. And this is from Colleen. She asks, are you doing push in to the, are you going to push into multiple classes? 
or do you plan to go from one class to another class? Oftentimes, both of you have already talked about having multiple school sites. Are you going to be able to go from one school site in a classroom to another school site and walk into that classroom in the same day? Um, Jamie, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, so for me in my district, we do push in as a whole class in all of the special education kindergartens. So I will continue to be doing that in my building. I only see students for OT sessions in one building. I do go to all of the other buildings to talk to the kindergarten teachers about the handwriting program and first mm -hmm. grade. So, and then do all of the assistive technology and all of the regular OT evaluations. So I am definitely going to try to limit my, you know, like Billy said, cross-contamination of, of going to too many buildings. But I think with this technology, like I'm very comfortable with technology. I want to con consult with teachers via technology. Mm -hmm. I think I always need to be in that building, you know? So if the teacher has questions for me or wants to talk to me, I'm hoping that there'll be a little bit more of consultation over technology to eliminate that in between buildings and in between classes situation. Yeah, it's definitely a big change with all this uh, technology and we have progressed. I think they're estimating like technology has progressed 20 years and six months. I mean, it's amazing. Um, what about you, Billy? It sounds like you might be staying home, but what about the OTAs? Are they still going to be going? We've already received some emails from our school saying, hey, you've lost your therapy room because, you know, we're making smaller class sizes. So those other kids have to go somewhere. And I get it. You know, we have an entire old music hall in one of our districts that we just use. And so we're in this little corner and the rest of the classroom's empty. So that's a really un underutilized space for somebody who's there maybe two or three days a week. And those schools will probably be doing a lot more either push in or out in the hall, unfortunately. But that's going to be good because then we don't have this contaminated therapy space where we're putting these kids in one after the other, especially when they're from different grades or different buildings there on campus. So the, the, the question, the debate, we just had this debate yesterday is, is it more beneficial to push in to where our students aren't going into the same room? But then if we're positive or if we're carrying something, we're exposing three, four, five, six, seven classrooms in a day yeah. and all the kids. And how do we justify that when little Bobby gets sick, but little Bobby doesn't get OT and it's just because I was sitting next to him when I was working mm -hmm. with my client. Mm. And it's, there's not really a right answer, but we're going to be conscious of that every time we go to a kid. There's no one size fits all rule to this thing. So it's just about best judgment in that time. You know, is there room for you to go and work with that kid without risking other kids who aren't even on our caseload? Is yeah. now a good time to take them into that that private room? It depends on the kid, depends on the activity. So yeah, I don't know about the push in per se, but it's not gonna look like what we were doing in March for sure. Right. Yeah. Um, I want to kind of ask a similar question. What about small groups? Are you guys still going to be able to do small groups or do you even typically do small groups? I do um, a, a good amount of small groups and my district um, spoke about ordering like dividers to put in between the kids, which I mm. thought would be a good idea. Um, you know, most of the kids that I see in a group are in the same class anyway, but I know that my, my district is trying to keep the classrooms with all the desks six feet apart. So, yeah. you know, I am going to be doing group sessions, but it's going to be, uh, you know, a little tricky. Yeah. It's been fun on Instagram, seeing all the creative ideas that therapists and teachers are coming up with, with how to keep desks six feet apart, keep shields up in front of their faces. So whatever right. they're spitting isn't going anywhere, but at right. the same time, keep it conducive to learning. Right. Which, <laughs> it's tricky. 
What about you, Billy? Small groups? So we hardly ever do small groups. Um, we're lucky enough that with the team the size that it is, we're always able to see kids one-on-one with the exception of an activity that needs a group or we're mm-hmm. doing a cooking group with our high schoolers, or those kinds of things. Um, but I do want to touch on a point that I think both of y'all have made that all school OTs really need to understand is that the environment's going to be so much different for our students. And we as OT practitioners are the best about trying to figure out how to adapt the environment for success and for being able. To. So that's an area that I think, I don't think a lot of OTs are quite ready for yet, but when we go back into the schools, we're going to be real cognizant of, of making sure they're laid out the way they need to be for all the students in the classroom, not just ours, because we're doing some wild stuff and it, it's really creative in what we're doing, but we're going to have to be aware that sometimes it's not always, you know, conducive for the learning styles of our students or for their students. And we, out of all the professions, I've been saying this a lot, there's no better profession to get things back to normal than OT. Uh, that's what we do, right? Whether it's stroke rehab or it, it's special education, we are always trying to get back to function. We're always trying to get back to making things run as smoothly as possible. And so we kind of need to break away from that caseload model where it's like, these are my 20 kids and this is the 20 hours that I work. And that's more or less what I do with my week and start volunteering more. Um, we're contract therapists. So a lot of times we fall into that trap of, I don't get paid to do that. So, you know, mm-hmm. y'all are on your own. That's not what we need to be doing right now. We really need to be using our services the best capacity that we can with our teachers are going to be struggling with more mental health and anxiety than usual. They're not going to know what to do. We're really good with those kinds of things. So it's not even our kids, it's the students, the uh, teachers, the administrators that we work with and being really good at advocating the entirety of our profession, that we're not just the fine motor or handwriting people, that we can do so much more that's been underutilized for years for OP but that we can really have a chance to shine here and come into the classrooms and help them set up the classrooms in a meaningful way, help the teachers combat anxiety, help our students understand mindfulness routines and all, all kinds of things that are outside of what we typically just hone in on as school-based OTs. I, I just want to add, I, I totally agree. I just did a whole video about that, Billy, about the scope of practice of occupational therapy and how very often we're only seen as, you know, handwriting teachers, but I, I think it's, it's a hard thing to say that we need to volunteer more. I mean, I'm employed by the district, so it's different. But when I look at my contract therapist, they're already doing so much that they're not getting paid for. I think it more falls on the administration to, I think it falls on us to advocate with administration about our scope of practice and that they need to utilize us for the things, not expect us to do it for free, but understand that this is part of our skills and we would love to use them to help you if you would add that to our work responsibility. I think that's the, the big key piece because I every OT that I know works really hard and the contract therapist, they're writing reports from home, they're making phone calls, they don't eat lunch, you know, and it's, I think it's not right. You don't hear right. about Teachers doing that, you know, teachers have unions that support them and, and everybody knows what teachers do. But when it comes to us, we're very often underutilized. But I think a big piece of it goes back to that advocacy and us educating administrators. Use us, but please let us know before you order furniture. Right. We'll help you so that our kindergarten kids are not sitting in sixth grade desks. But, you know, people don't realize that there's more to it than just opening the catalog and picking kindergarten furniture. My district did that. And I I, I had like a, a attack because the kindergarten furniture was not appropriate for kindergarten. It was way too big. And, you know, it's those things that administrators, when you really have a good cohesive relationship with them, you can 
educate them about that. But because so many OTs are not employees, they're not around long enough to establish that kind of relationship with their administration. Right. That's true. I don't know about how things are in New York or California, but we're still really pushing on state level to move towards the workload model for therapists. We're still very much in the caseload model. You know, you've got 30 hours of treatment, so you're going to be working 30 hours a week. And that's not exactly how that, how that works. But I think that, like you said, we're using volunteer not to kind of give our service away for free, but to advocate for what we can do. Because unfortunately, if all we do is what we're getting paid to do, they'll never pay us to do more because they don't see the value in the other things we just say we can do. Whereas if we're able to work those in, they're able to see that value. That's one of the better ways to kind of advocate for the administrators that we can do more than just handwriting computers and, and yeah. stringing beads. But I think on the, on another note, like to play the devil's advocate, if we always do the, those little things extra for why would they ever pay us to do them either? I think we need to kind of hit it from the top and say, pay us and employ us and use us for these things. And it should be a workload approach because half of one day a week should be about training the staff or teaching somebody about self-regulation or, you know, I mean, I think that, I think that administrators like OT is not their number one concern or priority. And so it needs to be something that's coming at them from the top. Absolutely. So I just want to share with you, you guys can't see the comments, but we have some comments. People are really appreciating what you're talking about. Olivia says, this is our time to shine. Miriam says, I agree with what both of you are saying. Uh, Tara says the same thing. I agree 100%. Good point, says Miriam. I agree, Jamie, says Megan. So everyone is loving all what you have to say. This is kind of the RTI realm. And so go ahead, Jamie. It looks like you have something to say. About RTI? Well, I mean, we're kind of talking about RTI right now. This is tier one RTI. This is that base level education for teachers that will help every single student in the school, right? Yes. And, you know, with the new regulations and everything and how occupational therapy, we're now considered an SISP, we're supposed to be part of the whole team. We're supposed to be at the table. And very often, and especially in New York and Long Island, and I, I mean, people know I'm always like on my soapbox about this, the districts don't hire therapists. And I'm so very blessed to be hired, but I'm so angry for the other therapists that they're not hired. Um, because number one, I don't think that they can do the, their best job and they can't collaborate like they should if they were a team employee and a team member who's been there for years. You know, I, I have... I love the teachers that I work with and I've learned so much from them, but over the years, you know, you need mm-hmm. to have kind of relationship or this year we're dealing with this kind of student and we, we learn from each other how to deal with that kind of problem. And the next year we have another thing happening. And, you know, when you're, when you're not an employee and you're not, you know, a member of the team, then you're not number one, going to be as invested and I don't blame them, but also you're not going to have the opportunity to, show what you know and to shine you know you're you're just yeah it's absolutely you're right i find that i don't know out here in california i think this is nationwide ot's we tend to be hired under the special education umbrella and likewise when we bill we earn money for special education and we can't bill for rti we that's just not what medicare medical allows for billing it's all for individual small group direct services and i think that plays a role into it because the district does get reimbursed for what we do 
and they don't get reimbursed for RTI that we might do or trainings that we might do. And so I think that is a larger picture that has to be addressed that sometimes we don't think of. We just want to, yeah, we want to help. And so like Jamie was saying, we offer to help and then we're doing help and no one knows that we're doing help. But um, yeah, there's so many different sides that you have to come at it from because right. it, there's so much going on there. And I All think, right. you know, administrators were once teachers, but teachers have never been administrators for the most part. So I do think that administrators do the very best that they can to look at the whole picture. And sometimes as people who are not administrators, we might not know about their 25 other concerns that they're trying to deal with. Yeah. Um, we have our thing that we're, you know, want them to pay attention to. But in my district, one thing, I mean, I feel like my administrators are, are pretty open-minded and I've gone to them with a lot of, you know, big ideas that they let me put into play. But one thing that we did for a while, maybe five years, was we had contract therapists pushing in to our self-contained classrooms twice a week for a half an hour. And the, the thought behind it was that we could reduce the number of pullouts and we could reduce the number of children who were getting occupational therapy on their IEP by providing it as a class service, which would be educating the teacher about, you know, what to look for and what to do as well as working with all the kids. And um, in my building, I, I'll, you know, I'm not patting myself on the back, but in my building that went wonderful. And I spent two days a week actually pushing in. I was in self-contained kindergarten. Then I went to self-contained first grade. Then I went to self-contained third grade. And my whole day was planning. And it was a lot because I had to plan five different sessions, mm -hmm. different like lessons. Yeah. But the teachers were very different. Some teachers, I kind of pushed in with whatever they were teaching. Most of the teachers wanted me to come in with something and show them things. So in my building, we all you know, made it work and did the best that we could for the kids and it went great. But in the other buildings where it was contract therapists, they weren't getting paid to do the prep for these sessions. And it was, it was kind of put to them as you're going to push into that class and help in whatever way you can. So, you know, the teacher is not going to just stop what she's doing. So the OT can sit there, you know, it ended up in a lot of instances that the OT was kind of just sitting in the back of the room during a science lesson. Like how many times can you say this child needs this kind of pencil grip or why don't we change this child's paper? It's not, it, it just wasn't working when they weren't employees. And I think, again, it goes back to that collaboration, but we did have that as an RTI, um, you know, measure in place. And it was so great, but we didn't stick with it because it wasn't working in any of the other buildings. Oh, darn. All right. It's, so easy to talk about RTI with the two of you because I know both all three of us are such advocates for all children, not just the children on our caseload. But I want to get us back to the virtual topic, and that is going ahead forward with virtual evaluations. What is the plan, Jamie? It sounds like you've thought about this a little bit. What What are you thinking? So, I'm the only one who does the evaluations in my district, and I was on the um, the re uh, evaluation reopening committee. Um, there are certain tests that are easy to do via teletherapy, but there are a lot that are not. So, um, my plan is when I go back in September to make sure that I bring my VMI forms and all the tests that I can use home with me 
so that if I'm doing evaluations from home, I can mail the parent the VMI forms. Um, but I did, you know, speak to my administrators and really advocate that our occupational therapy evaluations are going to look different. And we have to stop only looking at scores because the scores, you know, these standardized tests aren't standardized now. And, you know, very often I'll do like a visual motor assessment and then a visual perceptual assessment. But if I'm doing a visual perceptual assessment, you know, through the camera, through the lens, or even if I end it and put it on a Google slide, it's, we could do it, but it's not going to be the same. So I, I kind of said, we need to look at what's going on in the classroom. What does the parent say they're having difficulty with and how can we help in terms of that? Um, You know, in general, I think most administrators, they're used to looking at the test scores, but it's got to get away from that if we're doing it via teletherapy. I think everyone would like to know, Jamie, if you can list a few that you are planning to use. You said the VMI, but there are there other assessments that you're planning that are pretty simple? Yes. So I actually have um, a free webinar that I put together with two teletherapy experts who've been doing it for 10 to, I don't know, 20 years. That's over on my website, MissJamieOT.com, and they taught me a lot. I interviewed them because I wanted to provide something for OTs that are, you know, kind of thrust into this world. But they said that the VMI was a good one. I like that because it's standardized from two to, you know, forever. Um, and you, you would have to mail the forms to the parent and, you know, make sure the parent knows, do not open it or do anything until we're on Zoom. And then you can provide the, the instructions over the camera and make sure that the child's not tilting the paper or erasing and all that other things. And then the parent would have to send it back to you. So and you're still scoring the actual paper and the child is still working on the actual paper. So it is standardized. Um, in terms of the visual perceptual, you know, the scores won't be standardized because we're not giving it in a standardized manner. But I don't think it would be so crazy to maybe scan the, the um, pages of, let's say, the MVPTR or the MVPT3 and, and do it on Google Slide and ask the student. Um, the problem with that is, you know, you have your kids who have letter reversals. So they might say B, but they mean D. And in real life, they can point to the second one. And I know they meant B, mm-hmm. but on the computer, that's not really happening. Um, yeah. You can't so, see what they're really pointing at. Yeah, yeah. So I also think some informal measures like the handwriting um, without tears, the screener handwriting proficiency. I think mm-hmm. that's an easy one and a good one that we can send the parent the link. They could print it out and have the child do it and send it back to us. Um, you know, getting an informal handwriting sample is is good. Um, the certain subtests of the BOT we could probably do, you know, that, that the, the visual motor yeah. portion and the cutting portion, as long as the parent doesn't open it until we're, you know, on the camera with them and we can still watch. That's the hard part is... You might have to mail them a red pencil, though. Yeah. I, you know what? I, I, I didn't think of that. And the scissors, too. Right. The scissors, too. But yeah. then, then I find, too, sometimes the scissors that come with the BOT aren't, don't fit my kid. Oh, yeah. I don't... So I'll, I use different scissors because yeah, I want... I do, too use scissors that fit. Yeah. All right, Billy, I'm going to... Red pencil, I guess. (laughs) They probably have something that'll work. Maybe it's green. It's all right. Um, Billy, I'm going to come to you, but I just want to say that, you know, that's something that we're thinking about too. I think most of our evaluations, the psychologist is going to be scheduling with the parent to bring the kid in. Even though we're completely virtual um, teaching and virtual services, 
I think that kids are going to be allowed to come in for the evaluation. But that doesn't mean that they're going to be in class for an observation. I mean, we're going to have to zoom into the teacher's Google room or whatever and do an observation. And you know, like right now, all you can see is this little box. Mm -hmm. And so that's all I'm going to be able to see of the student potentially during a classroom observation. Uh, so we're actually trying to come up with a blurb that just talks about how, you know, this standardized observation or this op not standardized observation, this test, this evaluation was conducted via teletherapy and therefore I don't even know what we're going to write, but something about how this is different from the regular school right. environment. So Billy, what about you? What is your plans for, uh, for evaluations? I know you are hand, you are handwriting without tears certified. Are you going to be using the print tool or what are you going to be using? Not really. Um, right now, we're just kind of employing the stopgap measures or just trying to get them tested. Um, you know, we can look at the handwriting. We can look at some of the more specific things when we have the ability to do so and do more of the formal assessment. We're very fortunate with our service model because we have two satellite clinics that are both within an hour, 30 minutes of all of our schools. And so even when all this started back in March, Parents were able to bring their kids into the clinic for a one-on-one -on -one sterilized environment to get tested. And we had several schools making that recommendation. And so as of right now, in talking with our, our LAs administrators, it's looking like they're going to be, the kid is virtual. They're going to be sending them either to school or to one of our clinics, depending on which one's closer to the family or which one the family would prefer, and doing everything in person as far as those, those formal evaluations. Now, you know, there will be the, the chance where we'll have several who are staying home. There are several kids I know right now that aren't coming back to school in person, but these are children who wouldn't be able to participate in any kind of standardized assessment anyways. We're going to be looking more at manual muscle testing, range of motion, those kinds of things that it's going to be more or less walking the parent through and me kind of observing and trying to take a best guess. The truth is with standardized testing, hardly any of my tests are standardized because our kids aren't standardized. Uh, you know, almost every evaluation I write, I have to make some comment in there about their attention span or about their, their physical capacity, mm -hmm. right? We, we all, us, us as OTs, we're all familiar with that idea that the standardized assessment don't really paint the picture and our kids ain't all, can't always participate the way that's laid out in the administrative manual. This isn't any different. It, it's, it, it is different, but uh, we're, we're used to having those blurbs in the bottom of our assessment saying, you know, it's different because of, you know, they have one arm. They're not able to sit there. They have these issues. So it's, uh, it's all about making sure everything's documented, documented properly. But as far as our team goes, it's looking like 99% will be in person. And real quick, Jamie, I know you kind of have talked a little bit about potentially bringing students in, but also virtual. Do you think you'll be doing virtual assessments now, or do you think they'll mostly be in person? I think if we go back to being in quarantine, then I think I can do them via teletherapy. I never have. Um, I'm definitely willing to learn and to try. Mm -hmm. Because we're going back in the beginning of the year, I, I'll be prepared. I'll have the things that I need and I'll bring them home with me. When school closed, it was just like, it, I mean, I, I, like I said, was on maternity leave. So I'm sleep deprived and back to work and a little crazy. I wasn't even watching the news. I'm like, what's going on? And so I, I didn't have anything with me but my bag that I had that day. Um, mm -hmm. So I wasn't prepared, but I think going forward, I will be. And I, my administrators, they understand. And, you know, I, I think that they would be, I think that they would rather have me do it over teletherapy than put it off longer. Absolutely. 
And okay. I will say, Jason, just Go to jump ahead. in, as of right now, I do know that Arkansas uh, Medicaid does not pay for teletherapy assessments. Um, they're relooking at that, but as of right now, there's no reimbursement in place for for teletherapy evaluation. Um, that's been the reviews that we haven't done any teletherapy. Um, that might change when school gets back in and we start seeing that need. But as of right now, it's still kind of on the got to get it in person. So, I have a question. Follow up to that. Then, how does as a contracted company, how does that affect your company versus because it's actually the district that's you're billing for, right? Right. And that, that's been the issue. We've only, some of our schools have only been billing insurance or, or Medicaid for a few years now. So prior to that, it was just kind of the school rule is the school rule, you know, it's however you want to do it since we're paying out of our budget. With the implementation of Medicaid reimbursement, it has definitely changed a lot of what we do in the schools because now they're being more cognizant of what, what those Medicaid requirements are and making sure that things are reimbursable. Our LEAs are great. A lot of times they say, hey, even if it's not covered, we're just going to eat the cost and you, it's just got to get done, whether you know it'll be reimbursable or not. And so our all of our administrators are really, really great about working with the therapy team and about helping us through these hurdles. So you know, we'll, we'll kind of see when we get back into it how much of a need there is for virtual assessments. As of right now, I'm not seeing a real big need. But you know, two weeks into it, if everything goes back to virtual, um, yeah. things might be a lot different. All right. In the comments, we have some questions about sensory processing type of evaluations, SPM. I think I might have saw the sensory profile. Are you, do you guys use the SPM or the sensory profile? Yes, I, I use both. Uh, and, and those are questionnaires. And so, you know, they'll be easier to send out and kind of collect back. Um, however, it's really important when you do those assessments that you make note that this is during a pandemic because that sensory processing is going to be a lot different now than it's ever been, um, not just because of self, you know, social distancing or the mask, but just because of the anxiety level that our, our kids with sensory processing issues are dealing with in the home and in that environment. So I've already had several that I've, I've done and I've had to make that comment of, you know, heightened stress, heightened anxiety in the home due to, due to everything that's going on. All right, I'm going to challenge you both of you once more. If you were having to do virtual assessments and you were going to use the SPM or the sense, well, actually the sensory profile. Yeah, they both have home forms and school forms. Would you be asking the teacher to fill out the teacher school form or the parent to fill out the home form or both? What would you choose? I think I would choose the home form or both. I don't use, my school district doesn't use sensory testing as part of our standardized testing. Um, years ago, we had an administrator that felt like we don't provide sensory integration therapy, so we shouldn't be using that assessment. What we do is sensory strategies. So that is something that we could put in you know, our narrative. But in a case like this, with everything that's so crazy and our kids with sensory issues really are struggling, um, I think sometimes it's appropriate. It really depends. So for me, it would depend on the I'd be sending everything home. Um, I try to get home forms as much as possible. Now we get a 50% return rate on stuff we send home usually. So, you know, but it depends on the teacher. If the teacher has never seen this kid in person, then no, I'm probably not going to ask them to fill out a sensory questionnaire. But if this is say a self-contained special education class and this teacher has been working with this kid for years, then I, I, even if they haven't seen them in the last six months, I have a good idea that they're going to be a lot more aware of where these sensory processing issues are. And then again, with my documentation and the way I write up that report, make sure I denote that this is after six months of not seeing the kid in person or whatever that circumstance may be. 
Absolutely. No, definitely. I think that's spot on. Um, we should definitely be using whatever tool our evaluation process is kind of leaning toward. And what is the school environment anymore? I mean, right. where are kids? And even if they are at school right now, I mean, even their home life has got to be a mess. I mean, my home life is a mess right now. And I'm a pretty, I mean, in a pretty good place. And it's still crazy. And so, yeah, that's it's going to be hard to determine what assessments to use, how to make the most of it, how to get it done. And like Jamie was saying, we're backlogged. I think everyone's backlogged a little bit. And now we're trying to figure out how to, I mean, the 60 day timeline, 45 day timeline, whatever it is in your state is out the window right now. Mm -hmm. um, so right now our district is saying, focus on the new evaluations that are starting the 60 day timeline and then try and get to the old ones because they're already past due. Hopefully you can get to those, especially if they're tries. If they're initials, we want to get those done as soon as possible. But some of the tries, maybe it's like it's somewhat of a formality in a way because, you know, we're not planning on changing services to a huge extent, but still got to get it done somehow. All right. I have I think we're going to wrap this up with a kind of two questions. Kind of go hand in hand, PPE and cleaning everything. What is the plan? What is your district's plan? We talked a little bit about putting up dividers maybe, but what are your personal plans? How are you going to make sure that things are clean in between sessions and all that good stuff? So I know. I know my district, my district did hire, um, hire or uh, buy plexiglass for in between sessions. They've ordered face shields for all of the speech therapists. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure if I ask for a face shield, I could have one. Um, I also bought a couple of masks that say OT on them. Nice. And, you know, got to promote. Um, I'm, I think I'm going to be crazy with my Clorox wipes and just be, I think what Billy said before about having the students use their own materials. I, I, I don't think my district talked about that or unless I just missed, didn't, you know, didn't mm -hmm. catch but I think that's brilliant. So rather than have the kids using my scissors and my crayons and everything, they can bring their supply box with them when they OT and, um, you know, things like hand, you know, therapy putty. I, I'll be giving each kid their own therapy putty that maybe I'll have a Ziploc bag for each child with the things that they use so that that eliminates a little bit of the, you know, cleaning. But I think for the most part, I'm going to have to take the last couple of minutes of each session and just clean, clean, clean. Yeah. So with our team, our school districts have told us basically it's what your company says to do. And then our company has said, well, it kind of depends on each school district and what they want their <laughs> practitioners to do. So we're kind of in this oh. mid zone, but ultimately it's going to be the face shield. It's going to be the mask. It's going to be gloves. Um, making sure that we use as much of the students' materials as possible since it's already on them. And you don't have to worry about sanitizing it when they go back necessarily. I mean, you'd want to, but if they're going to keep using it as soon as they get back to the classroom, it's not as big of an issue as when you have a new kid coming in using that same stuff. I have a tackle box that I work out of. I'm probably just going to have some of those testing manipulatives that I've got to have and not really bringing anything else into the schools with me other than my laptop or a pen. And, and really trying to just minimize how much stuff I'm carrying with me. Even my backpack, if I go into a classroom, I sit it down on the floor, then I pick it up, put it on my back to the next building. You know, it, it's, it's another point of contact that you have to be aware of. 
So it's a lot of just using the students' materials. It's a lot of too, doing more of their school-based activities. So if they're working on an assignment, bring it with them, bring as much of the stuff they're working on in school as possible, since that's going back with them to the classroom. It, it's going to look a lot different. Our sensory stuff is kind of getting locked up, you know, sand trays, um, big things that they're putty, the swings, ball pits, that kind of stuff is going to be a no-go, which is unfortunate. We're going to have to be creative in how we address that. I've been really pushing for my OTAs to do a lot more mindfulness activities, a lot more breathing techniques, a lot more things where they can sit. We don't have to touch. We don't have to get in close proximity, um, heavy work, those kinds of things. We can go out. I've got a 30 pound kettlebell that I use a lot in therapy, um, for my, for my kids with ADD and ADHD. And that's something super easy to clean. It's just one big chunk of metal and that might, might find its way into the therapy room, but ultimately it's about using as much of the student stuff as possible kind of help the cross-contamination. And you can get a workout at lunchtime. I love it, Billy. Good yeah. job. <laughs> um, all right. I know I said that was the last question, but Nicole had a great question and I just want to, we'll finish up with that. Uh, the question for Billy and Jamie is what about progress monitoring? How are you going to, how have you already done progress monitoring at the end of last school year? What did you put into those uh, progress updates? And I think for you guys, it'll be mostly similar because you'll be able to see the students. But um, if you can talk about how you did it at the end of the year and then if it'll be any different as you move forward. Yes, yeah, so I'll jump in. Um, when we did like our interviews and in, in the year stuff, I basically had two, two scores. The first was what they had in March. The last time we saw them in person, we were able to address it directly as it was written. And then kind of a more or less a big air quotes here, but hypothesis of, of where they're falling in now based on our teletherapy sessions, based on our communication with parents. You know, typically in pediatrics, we don't usually see a big change in our progress in a few weeks like you do in adult rehab. So it's usually pretty close to where they were in March. Coming back in in August, we're basically starting back at zero. Um, I've told my, my team, we're basically just picking back up, regardless of whether they've been coming for teletherapy or in-person sessions during the summer. When school starts, we're back at March 13th is the mindset I want everybody to have. And we're just going to try to pick up where we left off. And if they made progress over the time frame, great. But let's just expect to be back where we were. And the truth is, we're probably going to have a lot of kids who regressed during this time. And just making sure that in that documentation once again that you're that you're noting why that was whether the kid got teletherapy whether the kid went home whether the kid was receiving services elsewhere what their participation was like with ami packets anything that you sent home was it like you said i sent i think 32 out i never heard back from any of them and so you know i, I can't say what that progress was like i have to go back to what it was in march yeah and what about you jamie how was your progress reporting I didn't have any progress reporting because I didn't have students. Oh, that's right. Um, but I think going forward, I agree, it's going to be a fresh start. So my students that I have been working with in my building, I haven't seen in a year. So I would be coming in as a fresh look anyway. Um, and I, I did find out from my district that I'm going to be working with the kindergarten to third grade this year. And then the other therapists will be doing third to fifth grade. So I mean, I think I'm going to work really hard to make sure I get a baseline on every single area I can yeah. so that if we do go back into quarantine, I'll have that information. Yeah. And I'll Absolutely. tell you too, I'll probably get a big resounding no from all the other OTs, but <laughs> I wouldn't mind reevaluating everybody. 
to be honest, just oh to kind gosh. of figure out because so much has happened in the last six months. Now, granted, I don't have the time to do it, but in, <laughs> in, in a in a paradise setting, you know, to yeah. just be able to reevaluate everybody because none of these kids are going to be where they were in March. None of them are going to be where you expect them to be. And we're going to have to be really aware those first several weeks of therapy that we're doing a lot of just those informal assessments that we're not jumping in and working on goals that we're just trying to get, like Ms. James said, the, the baseline of, of all of these skills that we had been addressing and new skills, mask wearing, hand washing, you know, hygiene, anxiety. There's a lot of room for us to grow out. We're going to have a lot more issues than we've ever seen. And we're just going to have to make sure that we're assessing those properly and that every session there's some amount of that assessment coming into it so that we can kind of get a better idea of where our kids are. Yeah. And it's interesting. We had our official welcome back meeting yesterday with special education and it's very interesting about how they are, what the mindset is as far as how they are looking at IEPs and what the plan is. And our district, we are going to be virtual starting the school year. And as of last year, IEPs that happened from March to May and then now going forward, they're telling us to write these IEPs as though a kid is going to be in school tomorrow. And that is not the case. I mean, that's hard to determine what we're going to put on an IEP for a for a school day when the kid's not on campus. So um, I don't know. It's going to be interesting this year. Everything from IEPs to treatment to progress monitoring, everything's going to be different. And, you know, hope for the best, plan for the worst, and we'll see where we get. So um, I want to thank both of you so much for coming on. I actually want to give you both a quick second. I'm going to let Jamie go ahead and start. You mentioned your website earlier, but I'm going to give you a second to kind of go ahead and um, just just promote yourself for a second. Okay, so my website is MissJamieOT.com, J-A-I-M-E. And um, I've got a bunch of resources on there right now. I have a lot of um, videos on my Facebook page. I've been really focusing a lot on vision and vision within the scope of practice of school OT. And as I said, I do have a free webinar about teletherapy. So if you're looking for more resources and more information about teletherapy, that's on my website as well. Yes, and her emails are fantastic. She just did a great video yesterday with Robert Constantine on vision. It was fantastic. Thank Billy, you. go ahead. What about you? Uh, share a little bit about your website. Yeah, so I'm the OT Dad, uh, otdad.com, OT Dad, and all the, the social medias. Um, and, you know, I'll be honest, I was when all this started, I was like, I'm going to have all this time to plug into my website, to plug into all these things, and do all these resources. And really and truly, my priority was my three year old. Um, and so I've spent Aww. so much more time just at home with family and, and really trying to focus on that since I have been in such a work mode uh, the last several years. So, it's not as robust of a, a resource as, as Miss Jamie's stuff. Um, I definitely recommend you check her out first if you're looking for those <laughs> kinds of things. Um, but no, there are good resources there, there as well. Um, you know, and it's a lot more kind of inside on my end. But yeah, that's the OT Dad on, on all the platforms. Absolutely. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much. Please give Billy and Jamie a thumbs up, a heart. Show them your appreciation for being here. And you know what? We will see you all next time. Maybe we'll have to do this again. People are enjoying it. So uh, we'll see you all later. Have a great rest of your Saturday, all right? Take Thanks care, for everyone. having us, Jason. Uh, bye, -bye. It, Jason. Bye. -bye.
All right, and there you have it. That was my conversation with Jamie Spencer from MissJamieOT.com and Billy Hatridge from TheOTDad.com, both amazing occupational therapists, both doing great things in their respective areas. Um, And I just want to say thank you so much again to them for coming on and taking the time to do this. I realized that one thing that I forgot to add at the top of the show was that this was actually a Facebook Live video. And so that's why it might the sound quality might have been slightly lower. And you heard me saying that maybe someone was saying that they loved it or something like that, or I was asking people to give a thumbs up. That's because this was originally on a Facebook video. And so with that, I want to encourage you to head on over to facebook.com forward slash OT schoolhouse. Just like my page. That's where I do some of these live videos that I do them. And then you are there live. You can ask a question and I'll just, I'll just answer the question there or I'll ask whoever is a participant on our video to do, uh, to answer the question. So it works out great. I do those from time to time. Um, people have been loving it, so I might keep doing it, but Anyways, again, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening to this episode, listening to every single episode. Can't say thank you enough. Um, One last time at otschoolhouse.com. That's where you'll find that A to Z school-based OT course that I talked about a little bit at the top of the show. Um, But yeah, everything is is housed at otschoolhouse.com. So check it out, and we'll see you next time on the podcast. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the OT Schoolhouse podcast. For more ways to help you and your students succeed right now, head on over to otschoolhouse.com. Until next time, class is dismissed.